just as a reminder, we have been in a series, a sermon series called Foundations of the Faith. And what I have been doing with this series is simply presenting some of the things that I find are very important for us as Christians to bear in mind. And the reason I'm doing this is as we are establishing Go Church, it's so important for us to be able to say, this is what we, where we stand, this is what I believe, this is what I don't believe. And one of the things that I think is most important for any church to bear in mind is the second coming of Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so today I want to share a message called Soon Coming King, Soon Coming King. I don't know if you were from a church background where almost every week you heard Jesus is coming soon, perhaps today. I grew up in a brethren church, and my church believed that at any moment, Jesus could come back. And what I have discovered is that the closer we get to the end, because every day takes us closer to the time when Jesus is truly going to come back, the closer we get to the end, it seems as if it's the less and less we talk about the second coming of Christ. It just seems so weird to me that we would see all the things happening around and don't concentrate on the fact that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back soon. And there are many examples in scriptures that we can see in life. We can see it day by day, and that just shows how much closer we are. But I don't know how many of you know what the Bible says is the final thing that is going to happen before Jesus comes back. It's strange. We have many things that the Bible says, and I'm going to go to the scripture in a few moments and talk about what the scripture says about the, fi the second coming of Christ. But as I'm, I'm thinking about this, if you really want to know what is that last, final thing, what's the, the omega, you know, the alpha and the omega, what's the last thing that's going to happen before Jesus comes back, you need to go to the end of the book, Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 21, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And then guess what happened after the Spirit and the bride say, Come? Jesus Christ came. The Spirit and the bride, who is the bride? The bride is the church. And so when the Bible tells us, the bride says, come, and Jesus Christ comes. What it is really saying to us is that the church in the end time is going to be a praying church. The church is going to be an organization in the earth that is going to cry out to God and say, come, Lord Jesus, come. 
come Lord Jesus, come. And as the church calls out unto Jesus Christ to come, Jesus Christ will come. Last thing the Bible says, go back in Revelation chapter 21, I think it's verse 17, that talks about the spirit and the bride say come. And what we have discovered is that there has been an escalation in the prayer movement around the world. In 1999, there was a group in Kansas City called the International House of Prayer. Many people know it as IHOP, and they think that IHOP really means International House of Prayer. Not quite. IHOP came from the principles, the four principles of this organization. First was intercession. The second was holiness. Then offerings to the poor and prophetic ministry. So those were the four pillars on which the International House of Prayer was, was created. And they just called it International House of Prayer. And IHOP tried to sue them and they didn't win. But in 1999, they started this prayer movement, and it was what we call a 24-hour prayer movement, where they would pray nonstop. And since September 1999, they have not stopped praying in Kansas City. But the thing about this prayer movement that has happened in Kansas City is that it has taken a hold of the world, and all of a sudden you have prayer furnaces taking place all around the U.S. But the, in, the significant thing about September 1999 is that when IHOP, the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, started their 24-7 prayer watch in England, some people said, let's pray for a weekend to see what would happen. And they started praying for that weekend and they liked it, and so they continued, September 1999, they continued, and as they continued, they liked what was going on, and so they continued for a month, and then they continued for two months, and then after that, they said, well, let's get other people around the world to join in, and so now, since September 1999, from England, people from all around the world have linked up to 24-7prayer.com, and they have been praying nonstop. So there is this massive prayer movement happening all around the world. The spirit is wooing the church, and the bride is calling out to God and saying, even so, come Lord Jesus, come. That is an answer to prophecy in the Bible, and that just shows one area where Jesus Christ is coming back soon. And I could mention some other areas, but that is just a way of showing you that something is happening and some way people are getting interested in what is going to happen. And so every now and again you have a prophet who decides that I have the secret code and I can interpret the scriptures and I can see exactly when Jesus Christ is coming back and when the world is going to end. And so I want to play a clip from a news station that simply shows what happened very recently, if you were listening to it, because on May 21, Jesus Christ was supposed to come back for his people. So let's watch this clip. 
So you see what's happening. People are making fun of us. People are making fun of the church. And the more people like this person who came out and said, Jesus is coming on a certain day, it's the more the world becomes skeptical. And because of this, the church has for a long time, because of the type of prophecies like we had just a couple weeks ago, the world has been laughing at the church and the church has backed off from talking about the second coming. But it's important for us to know what the Bible says about the second coming and so we're going to go right to the Bible right now in Matthew chapter 24. And I'm going to read a few verses for you from verse 3 to 14. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, 
See that you are not troubled, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquake in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because, of, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. That verse, this, this final verse that I just read, verse 13, that says, this gospel will be preached in all the world. Missiologists, people who study missions and how the gospel is reaching the earth, they have said that based on their calculation, if nothing different happens, if nothing strange happens, if there is no extra effort for missions, the, every single last tribe on the earth will hear the gospel within the next 15 years. Now, here's the problem with that. I share the gospel with Joe Viguz. And Joe Viguz, who is from Yogyugo in Mexico or in, in a, a very remote part of Africa, goes home. And he shares with Zagmia. And Zagmia, nobody knows that Zagmia has heard the gospel. And she goes and she tells this tribe that nobody has ever seen. And what happens is that any time now, even though officially we think that in the next 15 years the gospel will reach to the end of the earth, at any moment without us knowing the gospel can reach to the ends of the earth. So Jesus could be coming back anytime soon. And we don't know exactly when he's coming back. And so what we find is that people have been researching this, this end of the age, because we want to know what's going to happen. And we find that there is even a, a study of the final things. And this study is called eschatology. And this is the study of last things. And maybe most people in the world are concerned about the future. And we have theologians who rightly are studying the Bible and seeing what is the Bible saying about the last things? And what's the Bible saying about the final days? Then we also have futurists. Futurists are people who, who are not necessarily Christians, but they will sit down and they will plot out the end of the age and what will happen and how things will happen. And these are usually very intelligent people. They're planning what would happen if this happened and if this happened. And they're, they're, they're calculating things. Then we have philosophers, and philosophers are philosophizing. That's not a word. 
But philosophers are getting together and they're asking the important, meaningful questions of life. Then we have psychics. I don't know if you have ever heard about Nostradamus, but I remember watching the entire Nostradamus documentary where Nostradamus was telling about what will happen and his prophecies seemed so accurate. Of course, he borrowed a lot of things from the Bible. But Nostradamus was predicting when, the, in fact, he actually has a day when the earth will end. Then we have the Mayan calendar. You guys have heard about the Mayan calendar. Incidentally, this person that we, we spoke about, when May 21st came and it didn't happen, he said, well, it's actually going to happen in October because he actually gave two dates, one for the rapture and one for the end of the earth in October. So those who missed May 21st, just get ready. October, what's the date? October 12th? That's when the earth is going to end. That's when Jesus is coming back. But Nostradamus actually had a date when he said things are going to happen. And the Mayans, no, the Mayan calendar ends, guess when? 2012. And so as far as the Mayans are concerned, the end of the age is going to happen next year. So there we have psychics, Mayans, philosophers, futurists, theologians, and even the movie makers are making their own thing. And so we have this, this movie, 2012, which talks about the end of the age. And we need to be concerned about the end of the age. And for those of you who are wondering, the word rapture comes to mind. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about the rapture and ask the question, is the rapture real? And according to theologians, the, the word rapture is that moment in time when God's elect are finally joined with Jesus Christ. And that is what this group from the family radio people were just predicting that the end of the world was going to happen with the rapture on May 21st. And remember we just read a passage that says nobody knows the day nor hour. But the word rapture comes from a Latin word equivalent for the Greek harpazo, which is translated shall be caught up to seize, to carry off, or snatch away. And because of that, we in the church believe that one day Christians are going to be snatched off, are going to be taken up. Now, these days when people like what we just saw are predicting that Jesus Christ is going to come and snatch us away and then we have the world laughing at them, because of that, it's no longer fashionable in the church to talk about the rapture. But remember that we are the ones who believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then God has the power in like manner, the same way he rose Jesus from the dead, he raised Jesus from the dead, the same way he can raise us up from the dead. And the same way Jesus ascended into heaven after he died and was buried, it's the same way we as Christians will be raptured, we will be taken up into heaven. But then we need to understand what this is all about. And so, I don't know if you guys remember in the 70s, but there were 70s, early 80s, 
a series of movies. And these were fantastic movies at the time. I, I watched it and it was so lame. But these were fantastic movies that we watched that talked about the rapture. The first one, it was a, a trilogy. I, raise your hand if you have seen it. The first one was called A Thief in the Night. All right, A Thief in the Night, that famous movie. And then after that, they came out with Prodigal Planet and The Distant Thunder. I'm going to take us to The Thief in the Night and show us the, first, the introduction to A Thief in the Night so that's just that we can remember what the movie was like. And you'll see why I say it was a little lame, but it was really exciting at the time that we watched it. Here we go. Recognize those seventies clothes. Okay. So that was a thief in the night, and it began a whole series of movies that we we watched and we were amazed, and it brought to the fore the fact that Jesus was really coming back very soon, and. So I want us to look at where this whole passage that comes from the Bible talks about the rapture. The first passage is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 to 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 to 17, and let me read it quickly. For this we say to you, 
by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will, raise first, will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Verse 18 says, Therefore comfort one another with these words. That word in verse 17 that says caught up, that's the word that comes from the Latin that's, trans, that's actually translated rapture. And so this is a passage that talks about us being caught up into heaven. Then there's one more passage that talks about these final things in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 54. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Therefore I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So those are the passages that talks about the rapture. And so it's now time for me to get myself in some trouble. Because there are three main views on the rapture, and I want us to just look at these three views on the rapture right now. The first view on the rapture, when the earth will be, the, the church will be taken up, is called the pre-tribulation. And if you look at this, I'm, I'm blocked from that side, but the, the top one that, that says pre-tribulation, the pre-tribulation people are people who believe that we are going about our business and then in the middle of what's happening, the church is going to be raptured up. You can see that green line. Can you see the green line? Green line right here. The church will be raptured, and Christ is going to come down. That's, the, that's represented by the blue line. Christ is going to come and meet us in the air, and then we are going to go to be with Christ, and we're going to be with Christ where we're going to have what we call the marriage feast of the Lamb. Now, this is theology, and it's, it's taking us into a little bit of information, but I want us to understand what people believe about the final days, what the church believes. And this first view, this is the, the, the primary view that most of the church holds today, that there's going to be a pre-tribulation rapture, and it happens right here in the middle of everything, and then after the, after the, rap the church is raptured, God takes away his people, then there is, is going to be seven years of tribulation. See that where it says tribulation right there? There is going to be seven years of tribulation, and then Christ is going to come back to the earth, and he is going to rule and reign with his people for a thousand years. And the Bible calls that, we, we call it the millennium rule, 
And then after that 1,000 years, there is going to be the final judgment. See that? The last judgment. So that's the primary view of the church. Then there is this other view that many people in the church are holding as well, where we have the cross and then we go through life and the tribulation starts somewhere here and the church goes through the first part of the tribulation. See that? Notice that right here, the tribulation is going on, starting right here at this mark, and the church goes through part of the tribulation, and then somewhere in the middle of the tribulation, the rapture takes place. Some people say it's going to be three and a half years in, and there, is, there are verses in, in the Bible that, that people use to argue that, and they say, Somewhere in the middle of the tribulation, the church is going to be raptured, and then this is going to be a time of great, this is what you call the great tribulation. This is the last half of the tribulation, and then that's when Christ is going to come back to the earth with his church. What's happening in heaven with the, the church? There is the marriage feast of the Lamb, where the church is actually marrying Jesus Christ, and then the church comes back to earth, to rule and reign for a thousand years. So there's that thousand years that is listed in Revelation that is mentioned all throughout. The final view that is held by the least amount of people in the church is the post-tribulation. And what that says is that the church goes through the entire period of tribulation and then at the end of the tribulation, that's when the church is raptured and that's when Jesus Christ meets them. There's a marriage in heaven. They come back to earth and they rule and reign for a thousand years before the final judgment. All these views are very important. And I grew up in a church that believed in the pre-tribulation rapture. Now here's the trouble. One of the big problems I have discovered with the pre-tribulation rapture is that it is a very much Western belief. And here's why I say it's a very much Western belief. What the Western church has for a long time said is, look, you need to get saved because trouble is coming to the world, and when trouble comes to the world, just know one thing. We, the church, are going to be out of here because God is going to rapture us and he's going to take us away and we're not going to face what the rest of the world is going to face after we are taken away. Here's the problem. The problem with this is that the church has for 2,000 years been going through tribulation. And many of us believe that we as Christians are not going to face, we as Western Christians are not going to face what Christians in Saudi Arabia have been going through and what Christians in many parts of Africa have been going through because we are going to be taken out miraculously before any of that happens. Now, when it comes to whether you are pre-tribulation or mid-tribulation or post-tribulation, this is not something that affects your salvation. You're still going to go to heaven regardless of what you believe, whether you are pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. But the thing that we cannot say as a church is that we, because we live in America, which is God's country, or we live on this side of the world, we are not going to have our heads beheaded. And we're not going to face 
turmoil, that we're not going to face problems as the rest of the world has gone through. See what I'm saying? It is hard for the church in America to say to somebody who has been beaten, burned, put in oil, have their fingernails plucked out that, well, we are going to be raptured before tribulation happens. See how that works? So let me now just take us very quickly through why I changed my views from the pre-tribulation to a mid-tribulation. And if you disagree with me, this doesn't change our relationship. You are perfectly okay to believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. But I'm just, as, as the pastor, I want you to know what I believe and why I believe the things I believe. So let's turn to Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6, it talks about four horsemen. And this is talking about the end time. And the Bible is talking about worship. Lots of worship is happening in heaven. And the angels are bowing down before God and saying, Holy are you, Lord. Holy are you, Lord. And then John sees something happening. There is, there is a scroll, and, and nobody is able to open the scroll. And, and John weeps before God, and he says, nobody can open this. And, and, and the angels come comes to him and say, don't weep, because the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed, and he will open the seals. And so the seals are now opened. And the first seal opens in Revelation chapter 6, and a white horse comes forth. And this is something that I want you to read on your own when you go home. But a white horse comes, and that white horse is given permission to conquer. And he's conquering, and people are being conquered. Because if he's a conqueror, people are being conquered. Then the second seal is open, opened, and a red horse comes forth. And this red horse is given permission to remove peace from the earth. So peace is taken away. So now you have wars everywhere. Then after the second seal is open, a third seal is open, and there is a black horse. And this black horse presents famine on the face of the earth. And as you read the passage in Revelation when you go home, you see where they're saying, you now have to work for a whole day just to buy a barley loaf. Everything is, is bad. People are starving all around the world. And then there's a fourth horse. This is a pale horse. And the pale horse is given power of death and starvation. And so there is world hunger. He has a sword, and he is presenting hunger all around. And so one-fourth of the earth, the earth's population, one quarter of everybody. Look at this room right now we have somewhere about 62 people in here. So if you divide 62 by 4, what, who is the mathematician here? Come on. 15? Okay, 15. 15 and a quarter, yeah, okay. So 15 people in this room die. And everywhere you can look, one, if you have four children, one of your four children die because a quarter of the world dies when this horse, this pale horse, is presented and there's hunger everywhere around the world. And then we come to Revelation chapter, Revelation chapter 6. 
So notice what was just happening. Just stay here one moment. We were having the conquering. We were having world peace removed from the earth. We were having famine. We were having a quarter of the earth's population. That's, we, we now have six billion people. That's more than one billion people. 1.5, I'm not a mathematician, die. That's a lot of people. This is real tribulation that we're, that, that's going on. And then we turn to Revelation chapter 6, and notice what happens. Revelation chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verse 9 to 11. Revelation 6, 9 to 11. When he opened, so we just talked about the first four seals. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Notice that after all of that, one quarter of the earth dying, we have the souls of the saints right there. They haven't been raptured as yet. And then here's what verse 10 says. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. See what I'm saying? So we're having trials, we're having trouble, we're having tribulation, and you're having the souls of saints still asking God, how long, Lord, how long? And the Bible says, just wait a little bit longer before your time is up. And then we turn to Revelation chapter 9. And it says, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, that's like go church, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb and to the Lamb. So after all of this that is happening, we see a great throng of people that nobody can number worshiping God. So this just shows that sometime in the middle of all of what's happening, there is a taking away of the saints from what is to come. But there's more. Remember I said I was mid-trib? And this is not something that someone taught me. Just as I was reading the scriptures, I, I, I felt this. But Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, talks about the seventh seal. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for half an hour. What that means is that no woman is going to be raptured. No, 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 no. Okay, so. Revelation 8 says, the seventh seal is opened. And when that seventh seal is opened, 
what is about to be revealed on the earth is so awesome that everybody stops in silence and just looks at what is about to happen. And so there is silence in heaven for half an hour. And then the Bible talks about the revealing of the different trumpets. And with each trumpet, more and more persecution is poured onto earth. But notice that the church has been taken out before this great wrath that is poured out on the earth. And so that's why I am now mid-tribulation. Okay, I've shared a lot of deep theology this morning. But what does that mean to us? Because I like to be practical. And if we're talking about the second coming, there are some things that we need to bear in mind. First of all, we need to go back to the Bible and read it. Many of us are afraid of reading Revelation. Many of us are afraid of reading things to do with the last time. But we need to read the Bible for ourselves. I don't want anybody to switch and now become mid-trib if you were a pre-trib person because I said that I am pre-trib, I'm mid-trib. I want you to read the Bible and understand because one of the problems in the church is that there is so much spiritual illiteracy. We don't read the Bible for ourselves. We want a pastor to give us the word for ourselves. And that is good for me as a pastor to open the word and share the word. But it's important for you as a Christian to read the word and drink what God is saying to you in your life. So that's the first thing it says to us. We need to read the Bible. The next thing is that no one knows the day or hour. So if somebody comes and says to you, Jesus is going to come, tell them, thank you very much, I believe that too, but I don't believe your date. Because Matthew chapter 24 tells us, verse 36 and 37, no one knows the day nor hour. The third thing is that we need to be prepared to live for Christ, whether through good times or bad. Now, we as Christians might go through some hard times. Half the world of Christians have been going through hard times. But we have this, this mentality that us American westernized Christians will not go through what many other Christians are going through. But we need to be prepared to say, I am going to go through whatever comes. If hard time comes to America, I am willing to go through that hard time. And I'm going to remain steadfast, unmovable. Immovable. I'm going to stay right where God has placed me. And if I am asked to die for my testimony as a saint, I'm willing to die for my testimony because I believe the word of God and I believe that Jesus Christ is true, that God really raised him from the dead and that one day he truly is going to come back. So we need to be prepared to go through hard times. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but hard times will come. Let me just say one thing very quickly. I, I had a dream once, and I, someone was taking me, if, I don't know if it was an angel, but someone was taking me to an airport. And I saw some men in white clothes just looking forward, and as they were looking forward, I asked the person who was taking me on this tour, who are these people? And the person said to me, 
these are American Jews getting ready to return home to Israel. Shocked. I never ever thought of American Jews returning to Israel, but guess what the Bible says? The Bible says that one day God is going to get his people and they're going to return home to Israel. But American Jews will never ever go to Israel. You know why? Life is too nice here. It's true. Why would you leave your, your $20 million house in Hollywood and go to, to live in Israel that is war-torn? Something is going to happen one day in America that will cause American Jews to prefer to live in Israel or to have to go back to live in Israel. And that might be something that we don't want to face in America right now. Hard times might be coming to the U.S. So we need to be prepared. Be prepared to stay and ready to go. Paul said it. I don't know if I want to live or if I want to go because I know that to, to, to die is to be with the Lord and I, I know that to live, I, I, I can live for Christ and do more work for Christ. And so there's this, this turmoil going on in my soul, but I'm prepared to live right now and I'm ready to go. If God calls me home today, take me home, Lord. If I'm going to live for the next 20 years on earth, I'm going to live, and regardless of what comes, I am going to go through it because I'm going to remain steadfast in what God has called me to. So we need to be prepared to stay, and we need to be ready to go. Next, resolve never to deny Christ. And that happens every day. We need to resolve that we are never, ever going to deny Christ, whether it is with the tribulation, whether it is with a time where the world is asking us to, to deny Christ or we'll die, or it might just be on the job where somebody is wondering if you're a Christian and you say, well, yeah. And we deny Christ in so many ways when we pretend as if we're not his. We need to be prepared never to deny Christ regardless of what happens. I'm asking you for a complete resolve Remain steadfast in Christ. Two more. Learn to love each other and to work with each other. Because we're either going to live and work together here, or we're going to be together there. So as Christians, we have to work with each other. Learn to love your brother. Learn to fellowship with your brother. Hard times might come, but if you have brothers and sisters who are in Christ that you know and you love, you know that whatever happens, you can trust your brother or your sister. Learn to love each other. And then finally, do business until the Lord comes. Do business. Jesus Christ says, occupy until I come. And so we are not going to be anxious and say, well, I'm going to sell everything and, 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 and do this. No, no. We are going to do the thing that God has called us to do until he comes. Finally, Revelation 22, two verses. Verse 12, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Jesus Christ might not come back today, but you might die today. You don't know when will be your time. 
but you need to be prepared to live for Christ in your daily life. Let's not mess around anymore. Let's be serious as Christians. Time is of the essence. Let's do the things that God has called us to. 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. If you love the appearing of the Lord, if you look out and say, Lord, regardless of what's happening, I'm looking towards that day when I'm finally going to be reunited united with you. God has a crown laid up for you. Somebody went to heaven and Peter was taking him around and Peter showed him all the mansions in heaven and as Peter showed him a mansion, he said, this mansion belongs to John and this mansion belongs to Philip and this mansion belongs to... And the man was anxious. He said, so what about my mansion? And Peter turned to him and said, don't worry. You have a miracle mansion. And Peter was, this, this guy was so anxious. Wow, mine is a miracle mansion. And so he, Peter is taking him and showing him other mansions. And he said, yes, but where's mine? Till finally Peter took him around a corner. And he saw a mansion this small. And he said, I thought you said I, I had a, a miracle mansion. And Peter said to him, the amount of material you sent up here, it was a miracle that we could build a mansion for you. Let's occupy till Jesus Christ comes. Let's send up good stuff. Let's, let's work. Let's win people to Christ. Let's tell people how much we love God. Let's not be, the, not, not be anxious for anything, but, but trust in God and let him allow us to live our lives in a way that will bring glory to him because Jesus is coming back soon. And it could be any time. We don't know when our number will be called. We don't know when he's coming back. But we need to be prepared to go with him whenever he calls us home. I wonder this morning if there's anyone here who doesn't even know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're like that right now, I just ask you to raise your hand because I want to pray with you. Jesus is coming back and he needs you to be about his business, not about the business of life. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just raise your hand right now. We want to pray with you. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And if you resolve to live for Christ regardless of what happens, whether it is good times or bad, I want you to just raise your hand. Lord Jesus, I ask you right now that for every hand that is raised, that, Lord, you would touch them. Fill them with your power, Lord. Lord, I ask you that you would cause your glory to come upon them, that they would have a deep resolve to live for you, to do the things that you have called them to do, Lord. Lord, we resolve never to deny you, Lord. 
regardless of how difficult it may be, we ask you to give us the strength and the glory to live for you in whatever way that you have called us to live for you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. Touch them, Lord. Lord, help us never to be worried. Help us never to be at the point in our lives, Lord, where we deny you in any way. But Lord, help us to live for you. Help us to live for you, Lord. Lord, take us to the point where our lives reflect you, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, I ask you. Come, Lord Jesus, and touch your people. Grant that, Lord, we would live in ways that would glorify you, Lord. Father, we know that there's a crown of righteousness laid up for us because we love your appearing. So fill your people, Lord. Fill your people, Lord. Fill your people, I pray, Father. Know, my brothers and sisters, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his shalom, shalom. Now go into all the world and preach the gospel. And remember, Jesus Christ is with you wherever you go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being a part of our service this morning.